It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 451 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week it's another great Kickstarter doubleheader. As I talk to creators who have Kickstarter projects going on right now that deserve your support. First up is the return of Jonathan Hedrick, the creator of Freak Show Night, a zombie horror one-shot comic book. It's described as a former convict finds himself a defender of those living among the undead. This, of course, is a follow-up to Freak Show Princess, which he has done. It's also he's done Capable and other books that we talk about. We discuss how this book came to be, how this differs from the previous book, as well as what he has in mind for the future. Then everything wraps up with my fun conversation with Greg Anderson Elise, the creator of Isnana the Wear Spider. The latest installation is called Showtime, and it's also on Kickstarter right now. This is how it's described. Isnana the Wear Spider finds himself squared up against his next challenge, breakdancing in the streets of New York City. We talk about who Isnana is and what he's been up to in the past to get to this point, as well as what we can expect in this a little change of pace for him. We also discuss who the various characters have been and what kinds of things we might expect from Isnana in the future. So I think you're going to enjoy what both of them have to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's always great to talk with Jonathan Hedrick, the creator of such wonderful books as Freak Show Princess, Capable, and the upcoming book, The Recount. And you've got a Kickstarter going on right now, which is very important, called Freak Show Night, and that's with a K. And how are you doing, Jonathan? Good. Uh, thanks for having me back on, Wayne. I appreciate it. It's always good to talk with you. And, well, uh, right away, we'll get right down there. You've already met your goal on a Kickstarter, so that's a wonderful thing. I mean, congratulations. Yes. Yep. Thank you so much. We're at 1815. So uh, now it's just maintaining those backers and getting a few more, hit some stretch goals, and see how much free stuff we can give away. That's great. That's great. Because uh, as I was talking to you a little earlier, you don't have the daily heart attack facing you yeah, right. these days, yep. which is always good. It's so good when you don't have to worry. You know, so many people I know, they, they log on and they can't help but log on again and again mm-hmm. and again during the day. And th- the number doesn't change and they start to, oh, no, especially if they haven't made it yet. Yeah, yeah. They, they just they just freak out. Talk about freak show. They're a freak Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that, and that's a great thing. I mean, that's a. This, is this your fourth? If I'm reading this correctly, your fourth um, Kickstarter. It'll be the th- um my, the fourth one that I launched on my own. I do. Ha- I am listed as a collaborator on someone else's, but that was a good friend of mine named Jake Estrada who gave me the rights uh, on Kickstarter to go in and edit a few things when he was running that campaign, but he did the heavy lifting on that one. So 
but I get a, a extra funded campaign underneath my record. So, well, that's cool. You know, yeah. the the more the merrier, and the, the the more experience you get with this thing, I think the better. As you're already proving by meeting your goal, and we're recording this early too, so the number you gave, hopefully by the time this posts, you'll be a lot farther along than that. So that that's a good thing. That'd be nice. Yep. Now, why don't we get all the the important business out of the way? This project is going to uh, conclude on Thursday, October first, at twelve noon Eastern time. So don't get complacent. This is not mm-hmm. the time to sit back. And say, oh, he's got his goal. I don't have to worry. Right. No, no. Now's the time to dive in, and the, the the more people jump in as early as you can, then the more likely that uh, Jonathan's going to bring up these wonderful stretch goals and good things. So don't wait. Yes, please don't. Good thing. Okay, so well, let, well, let me get in and talk about this because this is an, uh, a follow-up to a book that you and I talked about last time. It's called Freak, Freak Show Night, and it's with a K, as I like to say. It's described as a zombie horror one-shot comic book, and the, the line underneath says, A former convict finds himself a defender of those living among the undead. Right, yeah. That's, that's a very different concept. That's a log line I always think you. that the zombies <laughs> – yeah, I always <laughs> think that zombies have run their course, but then people like you keep coming up with new and wonderful stuff, and I go, "Oh, I hadn't seen that before." Right. So yeah. very, very cool. Well, this is uh, is in the same universe as the book you did, Freak Show Princess. If I remember correctly, that was your first one, right? Yep. There. That's uh, that's <clears throat> that's right. Yeah, uh, Freak Show Princess was my first comic book that I wrote and self published and funded. So um, it was always intended to be a one shot. And then um, this this other story kind of organically came up in my head and thought, you know, why not make it uh, in the, within the same universe, like a companion piece? Because I think it would be fun for those who uh, enjoyed Freak Show Princess, but it's still its own self-contained story that has its own identity. So uh, you, you don't need to have to read Freak Show Princess but it could be more fun if you did. Well, why don't you – granted, you, as you say, you don't necessarily have to have read Freak Show Princess. But talk about what Freak Show Princess was about because I think that will help people understand Freak Show Night a little better. Yeah, Freak Show Princess is a story about this woman and her dog that are uh, trapped inside their boarded-up house during a zombie apocalypse. And she's she's reminiscing about the event events that led her to the situation she's at at the moment. And uh, as we're seeing the flashbacks, the panels during the present show the threat building more and more on the outside. It's a multi-layered sto- zombie story. If, you know, I think people like to dismiss zombies as being a very easy or simplistic story but i think there's a lot of layers with freak show princess when it comes to sacrifice with relationship and what we do that we think that we're helping someone else out by sacrificing ourselves for them in so many ways but it could affect them worse down the road so that's what i like to tell people there's a there's a a layer of you know romance and uh tragedy in it as well Hmm. Mm-hmm. I read it. It was a really good story. I really enjoyed it. So I'm kind of glad you're going back to that universe because it was a. There's a lot to discover. I think it was nice to see that window into it. Yeah. But I always kind of felt like there was you could do more with that. So I'm kind of glad you're going back. 
Thank you. Yeah. I, and I'm really excited that there was an opportunity to go back to it because I really enjoyed, you know, revisiting that world. And I think this having the second book shows that there's a lot more opportunity for more stories to be told in, in the freak show universe. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting to me that uh, zombies, a lot of people think, are the stars of their show, and that's not usually the case. They're, right. they're usually kind of the random elements that show up every once in a while to propel the story along. Yeah. I, I always remember the old Incredible Hulk show. He would turn into the Hulk twice, at, right mm-hmm. at the halfway point and at the very end. And the rest of the time, it was all this other stuff going on. So they called it the Incredible Hulk, but he didn't show up very often. Right. And the zombies are that way. I mean, out of the blue, a zombie will show up and things will start to happen. Mm-hmm. But they are, it's not, you're not following zombies all the way around. It's usually the humans going on with that, which is, I, I think that's kind of a challenge, but that's something I think you've gotten really well, you know, done is being able to build these people around this thing that's going to happen and make that an interesting thing and still keep the zombies interesting and, and unexpected. So I think that, I think you do that real well. Oh, thank you so much. I I really appreciate that. Yeah, the the zombie genre <clears throat> is has so many stories that you can tell because I think what people enjoy about it the most is that there's just one variable in our real world that's changed, and outside of that, it's still human nature. People are gonna act like people do, and when society falls we really see the ugliness in people more than we do the living dead. So there's a lot of stuff that can be explored with that. It's interesting. Of course, we're going through the pandemic right now as we're talking and stuff. And so I've always, I thought a good writer is probably paying attention to the newspapers (laughs) and articles out there, seeing the craziness that's going on. For sure. Yeah. It, uh, did, life imitating art sometimes. Yeah. Did anything, I mean, obviously you've worked on this before all this hit, but uh, yeah. have, has anything going on now kind of made you think, wait a minute, I could do a story with that? Well, some of the smaller things like um, being out of uh, common household items, you can really see how quickly people just start to um, become unruly when you don't have toilet paper or uh you know the hand sanitizer people are starting to fight and wrestle each other in the grocery stores over these items that we took for granted just months ago so i think that could be something that you know i might put in my back pocket for later because uh it's really uh, sad that uh we just lose it really quickly over things like that I remember when Katrina hit and I happened to be talking to, I was at a convention and I saw the creator of the walking dead. Um, oh, yeah. Robert Kirkman. Yeah. He's he, I, I said to him because Katrina was going on and all this stuff was happening. And I said to him, um, are you thinking about doing a walking dead Katrina? And he laughed. He said, I'm paying attention. He says, <laughs> yeah. So that kind of, that's the kind of thing that happens on when these things like that happen. And, you know, real life, Sometimes it's way wilder than the stuff we can imagine. So Exactly. Yeah. So, well, why don't we start? Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is the freak show universe. Why do you call it the freak show? Why do the stories always have the first word freak show in it? Is there some part of the stories that uh, that has to do with? 
Yeah, I'm kind of speaking of Robert Kirkman. I, I kind of took something out of his page um, where in The Walking Dead, you never heard the word zombie. They always called them walkers or, you know, they would run into another group and they called them biters or so forth. And I kind of like that idea because we all go into it and I even call it a zombie book. But I, by having the characters call them zombies, we, we lose a little bit of it. So the main character in Freak Show Princess called them freak shows, but she had always used that term freak show to describe something that she didn't um, care for, or you know, like a, like a clique or a class of people. She'd call them freak shows, and uh, it, that uh, lingo uh, transferred to the zombies once they became apparent in the story. Um, and then I. Uh, continued that theme in Freak Show Night, where the, our main character, Red, he uh, refers to his time in prison with the freak shows, the other inmates, and you know, how he was surrounded by them when he was incarcerated, and now he's on the outside and he's still surrounded by them. So I think that uh, word being interchangeable like that in people's um, vocabulary makes it, it hits harder than just using the word zombie. Well, it's a more creative too, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Everybody uses the word zombie, you know, it's, it's old hat. Right. You, know, you get yeah. a chance to put a nice creative spin and, and you're emphasizing something different by saying that and by setting it up this way. So I think that's, again, that's a real creative thing. I think that's, that's, you know, I have to say that I've read a lot of zombie stories that to me were not all that creative. That Yeah, I've read a, a, a lot of zombie stuff too, and there's some good and there's a lot of bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them, the zombies are the main characters. So I'm always kind of like, I, I always yeah. wonder how that's possible. I mean, they're they're dead, they're undead, but they don't really function all that well. I mean, you know, right. It, 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 it's their the threat. It's their danger that makes them interesting, you know, as far as the story goes. Yeah. And if we care about the people, and that's one thing that your writing does real well, it gets us to to understand and care about the people really quickly. And then when the zombies start to show up, we care about what's going to happen with them. Exactly. About the zombies going to do something to them. So, so I, I'm kind of fascinated by the the story of the notion that this is a, a former convict. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see many stories talking about that kind of a character. What was it that, that made you want to go with that kind of person? I actually um, pulled that idea from uh, my own experience with my father, who um, uh, it, the main character read and Freak Show Night is uh, loosely based off of, and they have this, the same name. And I, I didn't know my uh, biological father until about five years ago. And uh, one day I just decided to look him up uh, and I took the little information I had on him and uh, Google searched him as best as I could. And I came across this article in Colorado Springs of someone with the same name as him and the age matched what I had for his um, birthday. One thing led to another and I, I was able to find his, him, which um, prison he was at. So I, I wrote to him, got a letter back, and we slowly built a relationship uh, after years of never even knowing each other. 
through these letters and eventually phone calls. And um, about a year after we started connecting like that, I flew out there and met him in person. And when I was coming up with the idea for Freak Show Night, I just felt like his story, his real story of why he's in prison could fit in a zombie universe. And to play with the idea of him being outside of prison um, was a lot of fun and um, also a way to kind of honor him at the same time because we, we let bygones be bygones for him not being there. And um, uh, I just, I, I had to do something with it creatively, you know, just as a writer, I needed to put that down on paper. So, oh, wow. That, yeah. You know, I, I don't want to lose track of the comic, but that was, a, that's an amazing experience. I mean, yeah. What was that like for you? I mean, to, to do that, uh, did you know he was in prison? Is that what happened? Uh, I, I did not know. I didn't know where he was at, um, at all. So I, until I saw that article um, from a Colorado newspaper online, uh, that's when things kind of came together. And if that didn't happen, if he wasn't incarcerated, I may not have still found him. It, it hmm. was his criminal record that made it easier for him to be found online. Wow. So who knows, you know, if that wasn't the case, uh, you know, it's almost like a, a, a bittersweet thing because unfortunately he, he's in prison. Um, he should actually, uh, from the last letter I got him, might, might make parole by the end of the year. But um, yeah, if I, if he wasn't in there, I may not still have been able to find him. Wow. And then I might not even have this, comic book it might have been something completely different isn't that interesting well that is that is just you know real life like i said you you, you can't write this stuff i mean that's just yeah. amazing stuff I, i'll tell you a real quick thing for a while i was really interested in finding out what people named wayne hall had gone through okay so i set it up in the early days of google i set it up and i came to understand that people with my name had really bad things happen to them oh there was a guy that was uh, – uh, It was uh, a guy comes into this auto dealership, and he goes in, and he says he's going to buy this car. You know, and then the guy the, – the, the person in the dealer room shows him the car. He drives it around, and they, he says, I got cash. I'll give you cash to take this off the, the lot today. And so the, the guy who was, the, was working there and showed him the car said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll just take this around the, the corner here, and we'll do a couple of minor – adjustments to it and you'll be ready to take it home so he takes the car and he, he goes out of sight and the guy's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and he finally goes to the guy where was the guy with my car and he says oh well you know he just left i don't know where he's gone he's, he's just taken off he had taken the money and the car and just oh, left and of course the guy's name who had given all the money his name was wayne hall oh wow the, I'll just a couple other ones real quick there was another one where there was a guy at a, at a, at a motel and this guy got really angry with his supervisor, and he got fired, the, the, the person did. He ran home, got a gun, and killed the supervisor. And, of course, the Jeez. supervisor's name was Wayne Hall. And I, oh, wow. and I stopped doing that because I yeah. was, <laughs> it was horrible stuff. That's I was going like, oh, my goodness. Right? Oh. I didn't want that to happen to me. <laughs> so, of course not, yeah. Jeez. So I can understand that's, a, that's such an interesting story, though. That's just... That's fascinating how that goes. I mean, did did that change your perception of yourself? Uh, yeah, I went from someone who was, uh, you know, angry about it for 
three decades of my life to uh, one night caring about this person who I had barely known, uh, you know, after a letter or two, I was actually concerned about him. Like, is he, is he healthy? Are they taking care of him? Um, and is, is he getting what he needs? And it's so quick. It's interesting how quickly, you know, you can be uh, immediately attached to someone just because they're a blood relative to you. So, and, and then the greatest thing that came out of it was that I was able to meet more family members on his side um, that live in, in my area. So uh, it all, it all worked out, um, you know, in an odd way. <laughs> See, well, this is so fascinating because, you know, I, a prison life is a very structured life. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people, when they come out of prison, they're used to that structure. Yes. And they struggle in uh, an unstructured society like we have pretty much. So, I mean, is that what your character read? Is, is he going through that kind of a thing? Yes. Um, he had, had a mundane life inside prison, and now he has a mundane life outside of prison. Um and he went into uh, jail for a violent crime, and now, ironically, he's using violence to survive. So I, I like the idea of playing with, you know, those the yin and yang part of it all. The, what got him into prison is that actually what's keeping him uh, living right now, and the him being in prison, having that day in day out monotonous life, is actually working for him now during a zombie apocalypse. So uh, I think that was fun storytelling with that. Wow. I, 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 see, that's going to be a really fascinating story to read. I mean, are you kind of, is this, uh, does your dad, first of all, does your dad know that, that you have based a character on him? I did. I told him about it. Um, and he was flattered and he says, just don't uh, kill me off in it. And I said, no, no promises. <laughs> <laughs> No promises. <laughs> That's a t- writer, comic writers, and I know several who have uh, introduced their friends as characters. Yeah. David Peterson was the first one I knew. He had all this, the mouse guard people were all his friends because he knew them. I thought he was using the Knights of the Round Table, but no, these were his friends because he knew those people and he could tell what they were going to do. Yeah. And uh, other people, totally imagination, but it's really interesting when you can do this kind of stuff. I mean, is this is this something you're concerned about? Like when your dad comes out, are, are you dealing with the kind of a, a worry that you have? No, I, I'm excited for him to see it. I think he'll get a kick out of it of how uh, how close the character resembles to him uh, and, and the little things I put in there. I, I don't think he would be upset. Uh, I think he just uh, think it, it's really cool that he was in a comic book. Super cool. I'm just fascinated. Of course, this is a one shot, which means anything can happen. And your dad said you didn't want to be killed. <laughs> is there any chance that we're going to see a freak show night two? Shall we say? Uh, maybe not freak show night two, but I have opened up the doors for more, even more freak show stories after this. Um, for example, there's a stretch uh, goal um, in the freak show night campaign for a, a new freak show story that my friend David Galliano wrote. David is the writer of Savage Bastards at Mad Cave, and he lives uh, really close to me. We became good friends over the past year. So I threw the idea out to him, hey, would you want to write 
just an eight page story that takes place in the freak show universe. Uh, and he was all about it. So I, he did that. I sent it to my, um, at my artist for capable because I, I want each of these stories to have a unique identity. So a different art team each time uh, and also give it like an anthology feel. When it eventually, hopefully it gets collected. So that story is called freak show jester to keep the style of the, um, you know, royalty type feel, princess, knight, jester, and we'll see what other type of titles will come, and each of them being related to what the main character is. So I'm really excited to uh, give my, that IP to another writer and have them play in that universe too. That'll be interesting, you know, because I, I talked about David Peterson. He he does that every once in a while. He does what they call Legends of the Guard, mm-hmm. where he has other people write and draw and stuff like that. And it's always interesting to him how he sees people go places he never would have dreamt yeah. to go. And I imagine that's going to be it. What if they do something that you particularly don't want to have happen? Well, I, I told David, you know, I'm going to uh, put myself – I'll put my editor hat on this time. Um, I told him like what things I did want to happen, like at least write this part in it. And, you know, I told him I still had final say in it, but he, his script, he turned it in and there wasn't much that I needed to ask to be changed. So it has his uh, style of writing in it in the same universe. And it it tells another great story. And I think it's going to be really cool that, um, uh, the backers for this uh, campaign, when, if we hit that goal, they're going to get it's act, that comic book's actually going to be printed separately. It's going to be its own uh, separately printed comic book. Um, and and they'll, a non-physical backers will get a digital copy, of course. But um, I, I love giving people extra in my Kickstarter campaigns. I want them to op- unbox that package and just stuff fly out of it they got the book they ordered and there was extra stickers and magnets and and whatever so my goal is just to get as much more tangible product into the backers hands see i i backed the the product your project already is uh thank you and i I, because i have a stack of books that i have yet to read as tall (laughs) as me I, sure. I'm tending not to go for the physical copies these days. I, I backed the, yeah. di- the uh, digital, as it's called, the digital freak show on here yep. because I wanted to I, – I, I have more space on my computer than I have on my floor. Right of course, now. yeah. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm going to get the digital version, which I'll be happy to have. That way, of course, I can I can read it on my iPad anywhere I go with it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing I, about this. I, I Well, I also wanted to ask about other characters. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an idea who the people are? Because there's got to be more than him than in the zombies. Who are the other people that Red are going to interact with in the story? Well, uh, without giving too much spoilers away, um, we're going to see Red interact with someone from Freak Show Princess. And if you mm. read that, there's only uh, less than a handful <laughs> that that could be. Um, and then he, we're going to see him uh, meet up with a new character that may uh, be the actual future main character of another Freak Show mm. one shot. Mm. So I, I, I tried to set this one up more for a follow-up while still making its own making it its own complete story from beginning to end 
Mm-hmm. But give a little bit more of a a teaser to a, another uh, another story where Freak Show Princess was kind of subtle whether there could be anything else after that or not. Mm-hmm. Now I saw someplace where you had mentioned you were thinking about collecting all these Freak Show uh, stories into like one collected volume. Right. Yeah. Um, is that like down the road? I mean, when you get a certain number of them together, you're going to do that? Yeah. Um, I'm hoping. You know, I'll, that I'll write another 24-pager after this and then be able to add the uh, story that David wrote. I already reached out to another writer um, to uh, start brainstorming for a different eight-page story in, in the future. So maybe after three of those, three of those 24-pagers and two, um, you know, side, eight-page side stories, that might be uh, enough worth um combining into a, uh, a trade or graphic novel and add some other goodies to it. Um, maybe some uh, short stories or, or poems, things like that to beef it up a little bit and give people more bang for their buck. Mm-hmm. That'd be fun. I mean, you know, you could always have a new story in with the collected old ones. Right. Yep. You could always do. So there's a lot of good things you could do with it. Another thing before we, we move on from uh, freak show stuff, I noticed that Freak Show Princess got a lot of attention when oh, it comes yeah. to indie mm-hmm. awards and stuff. As I see it on the, the, the Kickstarter page, uh, best indie originals for you for, for Freak Show Princess. Then there was best new comic book author for you, yeah. I think. And then best zombie comic <laughs> and best horror comic. Yeah. Did that give you any pressure when it comes to following up? You know, you've got this well-recognized story. Mm-hmm. How about how did you approach that? I mean, did that change how you approached this this second story? Well, I actually found out about those awards about a week before I I launched the campaign for Freak Show oh. Night. So I was like, well, I I got to run with it. So I added it, you know, into the campaign story to let people know that uh, you know there's some clout behind the previous one. Uh, I don't feel any pressure that freak show night needs to win anything um if anything i hope it wins just on the art alone because the uh, artist stefano cardicelli is just amazing he just brought a real good gritty raw um feel to red and the universe that he's living in so he if anyone gets any accolades for this i I hope it's him before me because he's putting in a lot of heavy lifting with the pencils the inks and he's watercoloring this story there's some pages on the kickstarter project page Mm -hmm. and it is pretty amazing i do have to say it's uh his use of color is real interesting Mm -hmm. um there's that one image you use (laughs) that (laughs) is the real gory one (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's just say that somebody's gonna have a serious headache when this is done (laughs) The way yeah. that it's done, it's just a it's an interesting image, and it's not one you see very often in comics. So I, I think you've made a good choice with this one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to use that now, this is a different art team than Freak Show Princess, is it? That that's correct. Yes, um, d- different uh, interior artist and a different letter, and and that was a tough decision to make. Um, I did talk to the original artist for Freak Show Princess before hiring Stefano. We had some chats about it, and in the end, I just decided that if I stuck with Ben, who did Freak Show Princess, and he not, he knocked it out of the park, I'm, I'm 100% happy with his work and 
picture of Princess wouldn't have been the same without him. But if I stuck with him, I would have needed to continue to stick with him. And what if after two or three of these, I go to do the fourth and I can't get him back for some reason? So I just thought it would be better to just go ahead and make the decision to always have a different art team. And it'll give it that anthology feel. And uh, each story will have its own identity. They'll still be connected by the same common threads. But I think it'd be more fun for the readers to be able to uh, you know, be transported into a different story but through the art and because the art tells so much too in comic books without even necessarily having dialogue and narrative in it. But it looks like Ben's doing the Kickstarter exclusive cover. I did. Yeah. I, I did bring Ben back in, in this, the same colorist and the same letter. Uh, I asked them at, at the very least to, to do that and they were all on board for it. And I thought that'd be really cool to do for as a uh, homage to freak show princess. You know, it, it was in, it's, in the same style, if we, I, I should add a, a side-by-side comparison of those two covers. But, um, yeah, I brought, Ben did the pencils and inks on that. Sunil Gogger, the original colorist, colored it. And C.J. Jeffrey came back and put the old-style font. Um, so I, th- I thought it was really fun to bring them back just the, and have a, an exclusive cover. And you got other artists doing variant covers too, right? That's right, yeah. So my artist on the recount, uh, graciously did a, a variant cover for me. Um, and uh, that one was, that one's just as amazing, uh, more amazing than I could have asked for. Um, and then, uh, there's also the, uh, cover that I created, the, the writer's variant. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, people that are listening in, I can't, you know, see what we're talking about. Please come check that out. Cause I think it's probably the most unique cover that anyone has ever thought of in the history of comics. Um, I hope that maybe it, it starts a trend and maybe, you know, the top two start doing things like that. Who knows? Or maybe it'll be a complete failure. I don't know, but I had fun. I'm going to keep a copy for myself for sure. I got a, a huge kick because it looks like you drink coffee. Yes. Oh yeah. I'm a big coffee drinker. So, yeah, so that, that's okay. More than that we won't say, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of a cute thing. It's, it's a fun idea. I think to do that because you know, it's, it's not many writers are really good at drawing. Correct. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a good chance for you to, to show that even a writer can do these things. If you're creative enough, I think that's yes. really great. And, and that's, you use the right word creativity. You know, that's, that's the part about most about it, you know, being creative. And you got a blank sketch one too. Yeah. I really want, I, I enjoy as a collector, the blank sketch covers. So I always like to throw those in. Um, uh, and I wanted it, didn't want to just do another white one. Um, so I asked for it to be orange. So um, it's unique. I haven't seen an, a blank orange cover from any of the other publishers. I've, you know, they, I've seen red, green, and black. Um, so I thought this one would be a, a lot, you know, different and unique and timely for it being released in, in the fall. So with you know, Halloween and Thanksgiving, the orange oh, yeah. being synonymous with that. Is that when uh, you expect these books to come out around Halloween? I'm aiming for it. I really want to ship them prior to Halloween. Um, I just can't guarantee it right now with, you know, the state of the world we live in right now. So I, I gave uh, each pledge the uh, November, uh, you know, estimated shipment just to be safe. Cause I don't want to upset anyone that really wanted it, but I am going to do the best I can to get it in people's hands in October. 
Very cool. Because I, I always talk with people about marketing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this book screams Halloween. Yes. To me. Yes. It just does. You know, it, I always tell the story about how uh, it was a Christmas book that came out like in November and it kept going until May. Yeah. And I, I wondered if I was the only one still buying that Christmas book that far along. <laughs> right. Because, yeah. you know, people get a little bored with Christmas. I think it was Grant Morrison was doing it. And I was like, I mean, I was faithfully buying because I'm a big Christmas guy. But I kept wondering, I, I was asking, am I the only one ordering this? Yeah. The store <laughs> went on. Okay. I said, ever since then, though, it's really funny. He They put out his follow-ups. They're always a one-shot. And they always come out the Wednesday before Christmas. That's so, fun. That, yeah. That's, and that's timely. And that's smart too, because right. the, the bad news is you cannot be late. Exactly. If you're late, people say, "Oh, I don't want that book anymore. That's over with. We're done." It, and that's why I was uh, hell bent on making sure this campaign launched in September and ran through that month, so I can get the funding in mid October. And if I have all parts ready, I can send it straight to the uh, printer and hopefully get that in t- back in time. I also like the the names of the pledge levels. Oh, thank you. That's the first time I actually really try to get creative with the <laughs> the pledge levels. Um, well, as I said, I'm in the digital freak show. Yes. Level, and mm-hmm. there's a physical freak show. There's a double freak show, exclusive freak show, variant freak show, super freak show, the best value. <laughs> I find that's kind of fun. And the retailer freak show, which I've been in some of those stores. Yeah. And slabbed freak show where you get a you're going to get a cgc version too. yeah that's my favorite uh, uh name for all of them slab because it kind of sounds like you know a, a dead person on a slab you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's really good so again this is going to end on october the first on a thursday at 12 noon eastern time but don't wait now is the time to get on there and do these good things and, and sign up for it because uh, we want Jonathan to be as relaxed as possible. <laughs> yes, <time>. please. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mentioned uh, other books that you're doing. I want to specifically get into Capable yes. because I, I, you and I talked about this last time, and I got since then I've got to read issue two, mm-hmm. which I really like. You kickstarted. I think we were you were kickstarting that the last time you and I talked. Yeah, I think and, it was like right after we talked. Yeah. Yeah, and and it, it was successful, of course, and it came out, and I was so happy to get it. I really find this story compelling. Thank you. You know, I, I, I'm so fascinated about how a person would react, somebody that might have what we consider a disability, how would they react if suddenly they were, be, you know, not only able to walk, like I said, but be able to be like a speedster. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you've done a really good job of, of you know, getting into the character, his personality and, and doing that. And of course it's a diverse uh, group of, of people in the book, which I also like. Right. And it's just I, it's so fascinating. In the second book, he's obviously matured a little bit since the first book. He's, right. he's even drawn a little bit taller and things like mm-hmm. that. But talk about, you know, the, the character growth is not something comics are good at. Yeah. Usually. I mean, Batman is, has been Batman, he changes sometimes when a writer takes over, but he's still that same Batman, usually as long as that writer is writing him. Mm-hmm. But you're having character growth happen. This guy is a different guy. You know, he's changed a lot because of the events of the first issue. Talk about making characters grow and how you did that with Capable. 
Yeah, with capable, it's a real uh, challenge to. I didn't want to just write a story where the, the main character is disabled in the first issue, and then the rest of the entire series he's superpowered. Oh, and we don't mention the fact that he's uh, he was disabled because then it loses the point of the the title, and it's not what people were uh, buying into at the very beginning. So I, the one of the most challenging parts of writing that series is that I going forward I'm going to need to still connect the main character and the surrounding characters to the fact that they were disabled at some point so um, that's good that needs to be the common theme throughout this series or I've or or I would have abandoned it um, so yeah uh, like you mentioned, Derek in issue two, you know, he's standing a little bit taller because um, even though he experienced a tragedy in issue one, um, and not that he moved on, but he's experiencing a world now where people are patting him on the back uh, where, you know, a week ago there, he was being ridiculed um, for, you know, how he was. So uh, I, Issue three explores that even more, and issue three is almost completely done. Hopefully, I can uh, kickstart at the end of this year, and we see more people around him how they're going to act too when they notice that they have superpowers. And we get a tease in that in issue two with like the the bad guy, how people aren't necessarily going to do the right thing. Um, and with that character in issue two, he had a good. Uh, reason why uh, he was being a, a bad guy or committing crime because uh, of the injustice he experienced. But what if someone is just plain evil that gets this, um, gets these newfound powers? And we're going to start seeing that in issue three. So, uh, yeah, I love Capable. I wish it was a book that I could put out monthly. Because I'm, I'm not connected with it, but unfortunately, <laughs> in the indie world, it doesn't happen that soon. But well, you know, um, quality is worth waiting for. Absolutely. Yep. So I feel like you know, if you haven't gotten capable, you need to check out this book because I think it's a it, it's very unique as far as comics today. Its approach to things, the way that the quality of it, the characters, it's got a very real feel to it, even though superpowers are involved. And yeah. I, I just I love that about the book. I, which leads me to ask, you know, we, we got to make sure before I let you go that we talk about how you're going to get the, these books. How do people get a hold of, say, Capable or Freak Show the books? Well, if, if you're a fan of reading them digitally, um, you can. Uh, they're on several digital platforms. Comicsology is, you know, the big one. Uh, Comic House, which is spelled H-A-U-S. That's a, a UK. A uh, digital platform that kind of works like Netflix does, where you pay a subscription and then you read um, as many comics as you want during that time. And they're also on SpinWiz Comics, um, and that's a free platform as well. You, as far as if you want a, a physical copy, uh, you can approach me on social media. Uh, I, I'll answer uh, DMs on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Facebook. But what I would recommend if you really want to get a physical copy is talk to your local comic book store, have them reach out to me and I can work on a deal with them where they can get 
copies at cost where I'm not making any profit off of them whatsoever. I just want to get it into their store so they have product that they can sell. And in doing it that way, you're you're helping more people out. You're helping a small business. You're helping an independent creator. You're getting a comic book. And that's the the method that I encourage most people to do is reach out to your local comic book store, let them talk to me about it, and I'll, I'll give them a good deal. Now, uh, how do you find you on social media? Uh, uh, Jonathan Hedrick. Uh, that's H-E-D-R-I-C-K. Um, that's uh, my, if you search for my name in the three major platforms, I should be uh, one of the closer ones to the top. <laughs> um, Pretty yeah. Good. yeah. Very good. Now, before I let you go, I got to, there's something I got to talk about real briefly. Sure. As like November is, sounds like it's going to be Jonathan Hedrick month <laughs> because you're going to have these books. And, and real briefly, I want to touch on something you and I talked about before is coming as well. And we talked a little bit about it earlier about the recount, which I got a chance. I pulled a string or two and I got a chance to oh. read the number zero and the number one which is, wow, um, <laughs> this is like 180 degrees away from Capable and Freak Show Night and stuff. But it's still as gripping. I mean, your writing always keeps me, I, I keep flipping the page going like, now what, now what, now what? And I get to the end and I go, oh, no, that's not the end. <laughs> and why don't you describe what this is about real briefly? So Recount, it takes place uh, in a uh, fictional world where, uh, and I always have to stress the word fiction when it comes to this story, uh, a fictional president gets assassinated by someone in his secret service detail during his um, resignation speech. And then the vice president has to quickly uh, become the stand-in president while the conspirators make it known to the public that they're going to go after everyone that put this corrupt president into power, including releasing uh, voting information to the public and, and they encourage citizens to take action against uh, each other. Um, so it's a very, um, uh, there's, it's, it's going to be a controversial book without me even having to market it that way because um, there's a political character involved, but uh, there was a lot of um, uh, strategy to make sure that this isn't going to be an agenda book. Um, there's no sides that are going to be weighed more than the other. Uh, th I don't even use the word Republican or Democrat in the entire series. So it's all entertainment value. No, again, no agendas being pushed. So um, it's like if you're a fan of 24 or a Tom Clancy books, I think you'll get a, a lot out of this book. It's similar to that. Mm -hmm. And it's called The Recount, and it starts in November. The first issue, I think, is going to come out in November. Yep. Now, uh, this one you're going to have to order through Diamond, though. This is not an indie book. This is going to come out through Scout Comics, right? That's right. Yep. So it's available for pre-order now. So if you go to your local comic book store, uh, let them know that you want to pre-order uh, a copy or two of the recount. And while you're there, why don't you ask them to see if we can send some copies of Freak Show Princess and Capable to them. <laughs> Sounds good. I think that's yeah. really good. Because like I said, Jonathan, your writing always grips me. And I think your characters uh, are the things that, that always make me 
want to keep going because I want to know what happens to these people. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. That means a lot. Gosh, it just, you know, I, I uh, wow. Every, I, I can't think of one in specific that's different from the others in that line. I'm always wanting to know what are these, what's going to happen to these people now, what, you know, <laughs> and I think that's, I, I, I miss that in some people's writing, but not yours. Yours. I'm always happy to see that. So uh-huh. I think Jonathan, I mean, your, your Kickstarter for freak show night with a K is already a success. And I hope by the time this posts, uh, you will be even farther along than the number. We, in fact, you, you've gone up some since we started talking. Yeah, uh, someone back 30 bucks while we were mm-hmm. uh, talking, so that was pretty nice. Unfortunately, they weren't listening to us as we were talking. <laughs> yeah, they did <laughs> all <laughs> That's right. They, that, that's a good sign, though. Yeah. That's a good thing to have. So all I can say, Jonathan, keep it up. You are doing such good stuff, and I'm just fascinated. Is there, are there other things coming that we should know about? Yeah. Um, so the, uh, speaking of Capable, um, there's going to be a 10-page short story coming out uh eventually in a different uh, anthology sometime this year on Kickstarter. Uh, and that 10 page capable short story is called Harry's day. And it, it runs, the story runs concurrent with uh, the events that take place in issue one. So uh, you learn more about Derek's friend, Harry and what he was doing on that day when he discovered he had superpowers as well. So th- that story's all wrapped. We're just waiting for that anthology that's going to be in to, to launch that campaign. And there's a, a huge anthology that I'll be in with many, many, many other great creators called Cthulhu Invades Oz. I think that's going to launch either next month or November. And um, it, it's basically the world of Wizard of Oz and Cthulhu <laughs> uh, makes Come a on. scene. And I uh, was fortunate enough to write the Tin Man story. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I Gave him a, a Captain Ahab spin, where he he's um, you know on a uh, like a pirate ship sailing to find Cthulhu because Cthulhu stole his heart, and it's a real dark twist on the Tin Man, and I had a lot of mm. fun with that. Um, looking forward to people checking that out. And, be great. How, yeah. Is that going to be Kickstarter? How's that yep. going to happen? Yep, okay, that's so going to be Kickstarter. Yep. So we should keep our ear to the ground on that one, stuff like that, too. Do you have a website, by the way? I always want to ask about that. Uh, No, I'm working on it. It's it's in the beginning stages uh, because it's just so many pans in the fire right now. Uh, Eventually, I promise, uh, that way I can start selling some capable merch and sending people there when they want to buy things straight from me. Eventually. when that happens, you will have to come out again and talk, and then you can promote it. And yeah, it'd be great. People can know about it. That'd be fun to do. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, as always, it's a wonderful time to talk with you, and you do such creative and really fascinating storytelling that I'm always glad to, to – when I see your name on a book, I'm always glad to buy it and oh, to, to get it. That's great. So, Thank you. So I, I highly recommend to people, find these books. You will really enjoy them. They're great stuff. So just, awesome. just keep it going. I I, yeah. I can't wait to see what you've got coming. I'm sure you got other ideas popping around in there, just dying to come out. And I bet oh, they yeah. they'll, <laughs> they'll be fun when they hit. So we'll have to talk again next time when when, when that happens, so that we can make sure people know about what's coming. So I look forward to it. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne, as a man. I'm flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol, 
Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Greg Anderson Elisay, and I'm the writer and creator of His Nana, The Were Spider. His Nana, The Were Spider is a horror fantasy coming of age book about the son of a non citizen spider, the West African and Caribbean god of stories. Throughout the series, Iznana meets and interacts with various figures of black mythology, folklore, and spirituality. In the next one-shot, Showtime, Iznana finally finds time to wind down from his busy schedule of fighting extra-dimensional villains when he meets and joins a group of street Showtime dancers. It's great to welcome to the podcast, Greg Anderson, Elise from Isnana. Did I get that right, Greg? Yes, you got it right. Isnana the Word Spider. Thank you, Wayne. Yeah, it's good to, to talk with you about this. I, I'm always interested in diversity in, in, in books, and this is going to be one of those books. Now, I came across your stuff in a book called, I think it was Modern Mythology. And yeah. I think you you did one of the your, one of the stories in the early part of the book. I think was an Isnana story, and I was fascinated by it. And so I was really happy when I got a chance to to talk with you about this. Um, but let's do the important stuff right out of the bat. You've got a Kickstarter going on right now, and it's called Isnana the Were Spider Colon Showtime. And I'll read the real uh, the brief. Description says it's not other where Spider finds himself squared up against his next challenge, break dancing in the streets of New York City. I don't know many comics to do that, so that that's kind of good. The really good news for you, Greg, is the fact that your Kickstarter, you have already met your goal. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I always tell people you don't get the daily heart attack that way. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> so you don't have to do that. So you've already you're past your goal, which is wonderful. Let me get the other important information is this your goal. Uh, well, everything's going to come to a conclusion now on Wednesday, September 30th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So it's, it's coming up. As I always tell people, do not wait until the last minute because this is the time for you to get on board. So all these wonderful stretch goals that uh, I'm sure you have in mind can start to come into play. So, and as I always do, I, I pledged for the digital pack. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that support. I, I always, I have this stack of books as tall as I am and my computer has more space than my floor does. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that for this time. Although I encourage people, if you really want the good stuff, you know, I would get the, the, the paper copy and do those good things. So, uh, so, as I said, congratulations, man. I, I think that is such a, a wonderful thing to have that happen for you. And so now you can kind of just worry about stretch goals and stuff. Have you got some good ones in mind? Uh, I definitely have um, a couple. 
it's uh, it's funny. Usually I have some in mind prior, but I was not expecting for us to make our goal as quickly as we did. So I didn't really have time to try to ramble around, but I am considering having a uh, ebook. You know, that will be uh, digital for all the backers of uh, Another Is Not A Story. I'm uh, already speaking to an artist, a possible artist, and he's very on board. He wants to do it, but I just need to finalize a couple of things, especially with the script, because this was a script I actually wrote a while ago, but for some odd reason, I cannot find it. So I believe it, it was on an old laptop that I had that totally crashed, and I've never got to back up that story. But yeah. that's what I'm hoping Thanks. for. Yeah, well, that's good. So, um, let's see. Uh, you've got the good things going on, stuff like that. Let, why don't you, in case somebody doesn't know who Isnana the Were Spider is, why don't you give us a description as to who that character is? Sure. So, Isnana the Were Spider is based off of the stories of Anansi the Spider from West Africa, West Africa and Caribbean folklore. My character is a son. It's the two of them trying to stop these creatures from causing chaos while trying not to drive each other crazy at the same time. And what I'm trying to do with this series is use it as a way to introduce people to more black mythological gods and heroes. Because, you know, in school, it's not really um, required for us to be educated on them. It's usually the Greek gods, the European fairy tales, and so on. So as the series goes on, they meet characters from African mythology, Caribbean folktales, and African-American uh, stories and spiritualities of all sorts just to showcase various gods and heroes from other cultures that we can be educated on. Yeah, because I, I, I have to admit, this is one of the things that until I read that in the Modern Mythology book, I wasn't at all familiar with, and I was really intrigued by what I read there. And you made available to me several of the, of the volumes you've been working on. I mean, this is a, this is, you've had uh, volume one and then volume two, then I think a book called Ballads. This is called Showtime. And so you've been busy with this, Nana, uh, doing that. So when did you start? I mean, when did all this start to happen for you about creating a comic for this? Well, definitely what inspired it for me was when I would ask certain people if they knew who Anansi the Spider was, because I wanted to tell them a bit of a Anansi joke or a Anansi story. And I was always greeted with, who is that? I have no idea who that is. And I especially heard it from a couple of black folks, especially um, I realized if you weren't quite educated on Anansi from maybe your family or your parents, there was a chance that you never ever heard of this this character. And the, the thing that makes that unfortunate is that out of all the black deities and gods, he is probably the most well-known. So that was something that I felt I, I need to do something about this. And that inspired me trying to do the next generation from Anansi creating his son is Nana, who would hopefully be meeting all these various figures from black uh, mythology, folklore, spirituality, and so on. And just sort of having fun with that and creating modern stories with it uh, while still hoping to keep the core essence of the old traditional stories. So that was what inspired it. I think I was inspired maybe around... 2014-15, uh, I found I had the script written down eventually. I found an artist for it who was uh, Walter Osley, and we published it uh, at um, in 2016, Volume 1. Wow. Wow, that's great. That's great. So how many stories are, are usually in each volume? So for Volume 1 and 2, there are two stories. The second story is usually shorter, um, and it's sort of going into... It's just a completely different story. I, 
I like a variety of, of genres, so you get to see me mess around with that. And even for ballads, there is uh, two stories as well. Even though it's a, it's a single shot, a single one shot issue that's the standard 24, I believe, uh, page comic. There's two stories, two full complete stories. And Showtime will have one main story, but we also have a bonus story, which is about four pages. So, so far, every release has had two stories. Great. Great. Now, what's interesting to me was the origin didn't happen until the second volume. Was there a reason well, the, why you waited till then? Yeah, the origin is um, I haven't even actually tackled it entirely. I showcase a little bit of it at the, the second story of volume one. Uh, it's like the first sort of, I guess, part of it. And then you get maybe some hints of the origin in volume two as well. But we don't quite see um, what the full origin is. And I just I'm a fan of non uh, linear storytelling. You know, I, I enjoy I just wanted to jump straight into him working and, and learning his craft and already on his journey. But we will be going into his uh, origin very soon. I, I am planning on hopefully that will be uh, volume four because uh, volume three will collect a lot of the shorts that I've been doing in one shots, including the appearances that he's been doing in anthologies. And then volume four will hopefully finally tackle uh, his full origin of seeing how he came to our earth and how it connects to Anansi and what exactly was Anansi doing? What was he caught in that brought, that brings is is not a to our world to look for him. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the, was it a challenge to get, you know, the, these books into stores or do you sell these as an indie producer? How do you, how do you get these into people's hands? Well, I definitely, I, I'm always hustling online. I'm always looking for ways I can sell the book. Uh, there's been a lot of reviews that have helped. Uh, Amazon has helped tremendously when conventions were happening before the whole COVID situation. I was constantly going around uh, United States <laughs> as much as I can, you know, uh, to try to find conventions and sell in person and market it. And whenever I made a trip to a new town, a new city, I always looked to see what comic stores were around. I would always call ahead of time to see if the retailers were open to supporting independent comics or who were open to having this new book there. Uh, for the most part, I've, there were a good number that wanted this type of book. They never heard about it. They did their research uh, after I called them and then they will come back to me. They will call me back and say, yeah, we definitely want to stock it. So um, it, it, it definitely has its, its plus sides and, and downsides of owning your own product, but you also have to really hustle because you don't have the same distribution as, you know, a big company or a small press company for that matter as well. Yeah, it, it's really interesting to me because, you know, one of the things I love about comics is learning about things I don't know much about. And to be honest, I don't know much about the, the culture you're talking about. And so for me, I was really pleased to be able to start, begin to dig in there a little bit and begin to understand a little more. So that's one of the things I wanted to tell you, I really love that about the books is that I get to understand these things a lot better than I did before. And, and for me, that, that that's one of the, uh, the great things about comics. And I just think you do one of the best jobs of that in making something that, that might be a little less known 
accessible. And I, I just think that's a wonderful thing. Thank you. Thank you. That, that makes me feel really good. Yeah. So uh, as far as, I guess, I, I'm sure you're not traveling very much now. And so you're, you're, you're focusing largely online. I think I heard you say, if, if we wanted to get that or before we dive into the, the stories and stuff like that, where's the place for us to do that? Where's the best place for us to get your books? Well, I have a website, uh, www.ecwid.com. Actually, my fault. It's uh, Webway Comics dot ecwid.com um an easy way right now is just to google webway comics or is nana the wear spider or google is nana the wear spider showtime on google and then you will find the kickstarter that there's an easy way on the kickstarter you can actually pledge for the previous books as well now if, if, if i read this correctly if you go to the kickstarter you can actually you get the you can access those other earlier editions and things like that. Yep, you you could also get them at a discount as well. You just got to wait a little longer. Uh, but yeah, you you get you can get volume one, you can get volume two, you get the last one shot. You could even get the modern mythology uh, book that you also you know discovered is not through. This is good stuff. So um, I, I'm interested. What uh, this book Showtime, which is not about the channel, it's about the, it's about him actually, uh, like it's Showtime kind of stuff, instead of the the, the network, and it's great fun. It, this is about breakdancing, which I just found. I don't know many books that talk about breakdancing on the streets of New York City. So for me, I'm going to be, I'm really fascinated. But I, what little I, you, you made some of it available to me to look at, and I was really fascinated by the the artwork. And the characters, you know, much more diverse than a lot of comics are. And from what I was reading, you're familiar with a lot of people who do these kinds of things. Uh, is this, you know, is this like a, in a community you live in? There, there are a lot of people who do that, or you've you just got to know some people who do it. How did this become something that you wanted to explore? What inspired it were students that I had at a art program that I was educating at. I am a teaching artist. I teach video production, film work, and occasionally podcasts. And there was the very first program that I was teaching at. We have a whole floor dedicated to the arts. You know, we had uh, film work. We had dance. We had uh, music production. We even had uh, culinary and so on and so forth. And you know, it wasn't required for certain students to stay in one part. I mean, they can stay committed. That's what they wanted. But if they wanted to experiment with a different field of art, they could always do that. And I had some students that were just these amazing, amazing dancers. And I I spent some time just hanging out with them and just watching them work. And I was just totally fascinated by uh, everything that they were doing. They They told me a little bit of their skills of what certain moves were called and I just love those kids so much and when I was creating his Nana this when I wanted to to give him a group of friends finally because he's in the previous stories he, all he does is is his responsibilities of stopping these creatures stopping these monsters and hopefully you know writing this wrong that he imposed on himself to do but we never actually get to see him as a kid we never get to see him have fun and I wanted to showcase that and I remembered 
these students that I had. And that just sort of made me feel, wait, I want to have this not a doing that. And a, a little bit of it was a, a, a slight bit of me also having interest in, in wanting to break dance. I have never done it myself, but that's something that, you know, I, I sometimes may fantasize about, oh, I wish I can do all that stuff. And I also love, I love being on the trains and the youth would come on the train and just dance and entertain and try to make a couple of dollars. So I always carried money with me just in case, you know, I was fortunate enough to have some of these showtime dancers come on the train. And, you know, sometimes they would risk dancing because they weren't supposed to. You know, you, you we had signs on the trains telling, you know, not to support uh, showtime dancers or it's not the, the train is not for showtime. But these kids were constantly doing that because that was their way of hopefully making their own money. And, you know, you still had people on the trains who didn't give a crap. They just enjoyed watching it. It was free entertainment in some sense, unless you were willing to, you know, donate a couple of dollars. So this book, you know, even though it compasses, it, it, it showcases a lot of things that I wanted with this Nana and also being a celebration of black culture, which is what the book is about. And I feel a lot of break dancing and B-boy dancing and Showtime is essentially black culture in a sense in New York City. And I wanted to showcase and highlight that. It's, I mean, it's, how does I mean, that go on right now? Right. You've got, uh, you know, with restricted movement and stuff. Do they do it on the street? Yeah, there's there's some that do it on the streets. I, I personally haven't been seeing it as much. And I haven't even been seeing it on the trains at all as well. And, and it's only recently that it's starting to get very busy on the trains again. A part of me, I, I hope I can see it again. I, I hope that, you know, there's, there's bigger fish to fry than the, a bunch of kids wanting to dance on the train and have fun. It's, but it's, it's definitely something that I miss seeing. I haven't uh, been seeing a lot, but I'm pretty sure they're out there somewhere still practicing their craft and doing what they can. Well, that's good. It's good to see because it's important for these kinds of uh, different cultures to, you know, integrate and for people to get to familiar with them. So I think that you're doing a great job. It's a great idea to put it in a comic because it's something I haven't seen, like I said, and I'm I'm just fascinated. I mean, are, you, did I hear you right that you base these characters largely on some of the kids you knew? Yeah, yeah, there were. They, I mean, the the characters that I, that were produced took a life of their own, but they were definitely the original blueprint, you know, that I wanted, and I also wanted different body types that we don't quite see um, in comics, and it was something that I I tried to stress with the artist uh, Miguel Blanco, and uh, just to shout him out, he does an amazing job with just body types as well, and all the different characters that you, that we see. Even if they, they're just the background characters, you know, um, I enjoyed Miguel Blanco doing that. And he was someone that I really wanted on the book, especially because I was looking for somebody who had knowledge of New York culture, who knew the city life and being a, a person of color in the city and, and knowing the youth. And so when he came on board uh, and I was it took me a while to find the right artist because I actually wrote the script years ago. But I was always looking for the right artist and he came along and he definitely showcased what I was looking for in terms of body types and uh, the style that the characters should have, even if it's extremely subtle. And he added a lot of his own sort of interest into the characters that we had a lot of fun with and so on. 
That's great. That must have been quite a change for you, though, after mythological creatures to suddenly go into, you know, breakdancing. That's, that's quite a, a, a radical change. Did, <laughs> did, how did you prepare for that? I mean, did you, as a writer, were you ready to do something different? Well, that's the thing. For me, myself, when it comes to my writing, I, I dabble and experiment a lot, even though a lot of my work tends to be a little bit focused on horror or dark fantasy. You know, there's there's some a mix of comedy in there. There's a mix of all types of genres that I absolutely love. And this Nana has, um, even though I market it as a dark fantasy or, or horror uh, coming of age book, I not every story has been the same. You know, I've experimented even with sci-fi with this Nana. Uh, I've experimented with just you know the coming of age aspect, which is Showtime. But when it comes to the mythological, there, there's still a bit of that in Showtime because before Isnana meets uh, or joins these uh, these dancers, we see what his everyday what his everyday life is, which is hunting down and stopping a lot of these creatures from different universes who are wrecking havoc. And so we get to meet an Impadulu who is actually from South Africa uh, folklore. And we see them have their bout before Isnana decides he wants to join these uh, these kids and be a kid. You know, so we see we see these dancers' everyday lives, and we see Isnana's everyday life, and then we see them come together. Yeah, it's great. It's such an interesting thing. It's it's so well written. Uh, see, the, uh, like I mentioned, the characters. I really get to care about these characters and get to understand them. So I, I just think, you know, that Greg, you've done a wonderful job on that, not only in the mythological, but in the breakdancing one, it's just as strong for us to understand who these people are on all the different levels. And I think that's one of the best parts about these books. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, so I'm just so fascinated by how, you know, you you, in, you integrate a lot of not only the the, the breakdancing culture, but other you know diverse cultures, and there. I suppose living in New York as you do, that's probably something you're you're exposed to on a daily basis. It's fun for me because I, I don't get to New York all that often. New York Comic Con has been shelved this year, but uh, I, I'm always interested to see how different people interact. And I, that again, like the, the characters, but also the interactions are lots of fun. And you know, it's not a being a, a the whole business of a wear spider. That to me is, <laughs> I have to say, that's a very interesting take on a character. So, I is the is the original. I mean, the, you're talking about the original legend. Was it was that character also a wear spider, or was that something that you developed for Isnana? Well, Anansi, uh, Anansi, he's. He's considered a spider or a spider god, but there are particular adaptions or, or yeah, adaptions of the character where he may be half man, half spider, or a spider that takes a human form, or sometimes a human who takes a spider form. So it, there's usually different interpretations, but the original uh, stories for a Nazi, he was usually a spider who was just very clever, who would do tricks on on uh, whoever his enemies were or whoever stood in his way of whatever goal he had in mind that he wanted to accomplish for that particular story. So um, having his Nana be, you know, half, half boy, half spider, or rather a spider that turns into a boy, I think uh, allowed me to play around with a lot of things that uh, were visually 
a visually appealing but also terrifying especially because there's a lot of people who are terrified of spiders so i wanted to play with that dynamic and also have is not to be one of the sweetest characters you'll ever meet but he can turn pretty scary when he needs to turn scary and it's it's also been a a slight joy playing with <laughs> creators and artists who are slightly uh, arachnophobic you know like uh, walter osley he absolutely hates spiders or he hated them uh, but I, he would have to draw all these spiders, and I think that sort of helped him get through <laughs> eventually. Um, and I'm not, I, I believe Angel Davis Cooper, who's the colorist for this, she might have some arachnophobia as well. I'm not too sure. I can't remember. But there were a couple of times where uh, I guess she was a little creeped out for some of the things that we were doing. Well, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, if you're an artist and you haven't done that very much, it's a good thing to be able to go into those regions and kind of tackle those. So I think that was really great that uh, you're willing to take that on. That was excellent. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if I I feel like if I'm not being challenged as a writer, if I'm not challenging them and having fun, (laughs) you know, uh, creeping them out at the same time, you know, they may not be as effective as I want for the reader. You know, one of the things that that when I first started to read this that worried me a little bit was that Marvel has a very famous spider character. And, you know, he at one point sort of went where spider-ish, you know, multiple arms and all that good stuff. And I'm always worried that anybody who goes, it's like, you know, superhero comics. People are saying you can't go and do superhero comics because Marvel and DC own that, that genre. And yet you have come into this and made this really successful and really, you know, enjoyable and 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 smart comic that, that does things differently and goes in a different place with the spider characters that Spider-Man has never done. And I, I just have to congratulate you on that because, you know, I, I know a lot of people who would be reluctant <laughs> to go this route. And you have, you know, taken it and made it your own. And I just think that's a brilliant thing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, definitely on paper, there's, there's some slight similarities between them. They're both being spider theme, and I've heard it all from so many people. You know, oh, this is just another Spider-Man, or, you know, this character already sort of exists. But they, once they actually read it, they see, wait, this has, this. there's like no similarities. Even their use of powers is completely different. They don't have similar powers at all. They don't have similar backstories, uh, themes. And a lot of that is, it's, you know, I I enjoy also just dispelling that, that feeling that that people have that, oh, this is just another Spider-Man ripoff, you know, of some ways until they actually read it and they realize, oh crap, this, yeah, this is its own sort of thing. Well, they don't have to worry about ripping off Spider-Man. Marvel does that a lot. <laughs> they have lots and lots and lots of Marvel Spider-Man, Spider-Girl, Spider-Woman, Spider-This, Spider-That. But your thing is just unlike anything that I've ever seen. So I just think, you know, if, if somebody has not gotten into this book, I would highly encourage people. This is going to be unlike stuff you've ever read. And it's just a, a brilliant comic. Now, one of the things I noticed when I was looking through the, the Kickstarter was that you have won awards for this series. Uh, so far, I can see seven awards on here, a uh, 2018 Fan Award, Rising Star Award, Best Male Character Award, 2019 Best Male Character Award again, 2019 Best Writer Award and Story of the Year Award, and this year, Best Male Character Award. 
I mean, wow. I mean, that's a lot of recognition for a book that, uh, you know, that, that I'm sure Marvel would prefer not to have see around. But uh, <laughs> I just think, you know, it's a, it's a credit to the stuff that you're doing and the storytelling, the unique take that you're doing on it. That I just think that it's, you know, you're getting recognized. And I, I, I really hope that people will take the time and get into this and, and find these books and find the Kickstarter and get on board because this is something I have never seen before. And, and I love when I find something I haven't seen before. So your stuff is really enjoyable to me. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So as, as far as like uh, the, the awards and stuff, I mean, does, does that kind of make it a little harder for you? I mean, do you feel a little more pressure when these kinds of things come and you get more and more recognition? Do you feel like you have to somehow do things a little differently or do you keep doing what you're doing, which is how you got the awards in the first place? <laughs> Definitely the latter. Uh, I, I'm extremely grateful for the awards, the recognition, the accolades. Uh, I just keep doing what I'm doing because obviously that that's what's been resonating with a lot of uh, people who really take to the book. So I, I'm definitely not going to change the core element of what I'm going for. I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing. If, you know, if, if the awards stop coming, I'm not going to feel any slighted, you know, just as long as I still have people supporting me, enjoying the character, enjoying the book, that that's exactly where my heart is at. Well, like I said at the beginning, you've already met your goal and you, you set a, a, a not terribly modest goal either. And you shot right past that. How long did it take before uh, you said you were surprised by how fast it happened? How fast did it happen? It actually got funded in three days. And really? I, yeah, I was, I was actually pretty scared. I was pretty terrified when I put the goal because I was thinking, okay, I've never, even though I've reached that goal or close to it before with this Nana, I've never, I was just, I was just terrified, you know, because I've never had it actually set that high, and, you know. I, at the same time, what I decided that, you know what, this is the money that I needed to actually fund everything I need. So I shouldn't try to shortchange myself. And I don't want to, I don't want to risk, you know, um, asking for lower than I actually need. And then if I do reach the goal that I need, or I, I actually don't reach it, you know, I'm that's just going to come and bite me, you know, in the rear end. So I just put it at where exactly it needed to be from all the calculations that I did. And I just hope for the best. And I was quite shocked uh, how well we did within the first day. And then by the third day to see that it was funded, I was bewildered. I was extremely excited. I was extremely taken aback, you know, and, and each time that I give, you know, a, a day passes, I'm just like, wow, we're still climbing. Even, Yesterday, I actually took a break from marketing or pushing the book at all of anywhere. And we, you know, we crossed over already to, I think it was 13K already. And I was just like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, people, people are enjoying it, you know, it seems and spreading the word. So I'm extremely excited about that. Which is great. I mean, you know, I, I, Kickstarter to me is one of those wonderful things. I, I always tell people I wish Kickstarter had been around longer because I worry about the stories we didn't get to see because Kickstarter wasn't here. 
Mm. And, you know, see, for you, I, I'm glad it's here because you get to access that and you get to make this good book happen. And it, it, it not only does it uh, help you get the funds you need, but it also raises awareness and gets people to understand more about the book. Because, you know, a lot of people go through Kickstarter and trying to find projects that they'd like to support. And clearly people have found your project, which is great. And, and you know, I don't want to say that in any way to hinder people from going out and looking at it. Go and look at it because I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's going to be something, particularly me who loves variety. I love the, the different characters and I love the different situations. And I, I, I love the way that you do all these things. In fact, do you want to talk a little bit? Because there's several other characters that, that uh, rotate around his Nana and stuff like that as we go through the stories. Do you want to mention some of the other characters that are in there? Because I, I find them really fascinating. Um, for Showtime specifically, or well, no, no, you get other ones too. If you want, if you want to talk about Showtime specifically, yeah, that'd be fine. But there's the other two previous two volumes had some really interesting people going around too. Yeah, so um, aside from Isnana himself, I'd say his co-star is his father, Anansi. You know, I really wanted to also tackle the father and son element between them and the development of him, I guess, coming on his own while also trying to live up to his father's legacy because his father is this astound god, you know, this god of stories. And Isnana wants to make him proud, especially because he's never... I don't want to say he's he's never been his father's favorite, but they never really had a relationship before. And so this was sort of, I wanted to really tackle on the two of them learning from each other. So even Anansi has to learn to be patient with Isnana and the fact that Anansi is a bit of a, a fight-ready, sneaky jerk sometimes, you know, and he, he has to respect the fact that his kid is actually a, he's a sweet, innocent kid. While Isnana has to also learn the fact that sometimes you do have to fight, even though you're pushed, you're pushed against the wall, it's not your nature. Sometimes you have to defend yourself, uh, especially in this world. So we have uh, the two of them. Osibo the Leopard is the villain of Volume One, who gets attached to Roger, who's a, a civilian, a, a innocent, in this sort of battle. And uh, Roger becomes a a bit of a a, a slight supporting member as well, who show who shows up in show Showtime. We have in Volume Two, Isnana meets a, a a family who gets caught up in Queen Mboros and uh, Princess Kantai's sort of war against humanity. When they come to our world, these uh, killer hornets, bees, and wasps who team up together. Uh, to invade people's bodies and hopefully try to take over. And we also meet uh, a couple of Haitian mythological and spiritual spiritual uh, figures as well in that volume. Uh, yeah, I, I go through a, a whole spiel of different characters. You know, uh, most majority of them black, just to showcase them as more as main characters and not side characters in these trippy fantasy stories. And uh, for Showtime... You know, Isnana meets three individuals, uh, Princess C, who uh, is an Asian B-girl dancer. I wanted to showcase the, 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 the girls and the women who were also break dancers that we don't always see recognized. And also uh, Target showcase uh, uh, another race, because I, I know quite a number of 
Asian b-boy dancers. So I wanted to have that represented in some uh, shape or form, especially given the diversity in New York City. Uh, we have uh, Grigri, who is a Puerto Rican, who is more so like a, the bit of the cynic in the group who has a hard time fully accepting his Nana. Uh, but he uh, is has a, uh, his soft side as well. And Crimson, who is uh, darker skin, uh, Caribbean as well, and uh, has vitiligo. Mm-hmm. Diversity is a great thing. Now, one of the things in your books I know you don't shy away from, you talked about it being a horror book. There is one sequence in the first book that really got to me. I know which it's, one you're talking about. <laughs> I bet you do. I, 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 I don't even know if I want to spoil it, try to spoil it, but let's just say uh, somebody, an, an animal... Uh, gosh, I don't know. I, I don't want to spoil it in that sense. But there's, let's just say, a, a human being is influenced by an animal. Let's leave it that way. And it's dramatic. I mean, I wow. <laughs> I read it and I was just like, whoa, because <laughs> it's an amazing sequence. It just, you know, and this is early in the volume too. It, it, it's pretty early on. And so I got a feeling that, wow, I said, this, this book is going to be something I'm going to want to pay attention to as I go through. So uh, it, it, does your writing, th- do those sequences come naturally to you? Or are those, you know, uh, it, is this based on some kind of folklore or something, uh, some kind of things? Because I'm just not familiar with it enough to know. Is this the kind of thing that, that, that you know happens in folklore that you bring to the comic? Or is this your creativity going mixture of both? How does this work? I think it's, it's a mixture of everything that I'm into. You know, one thing with Isnana is that it's a, also a bit of a, a body horror type of book. You know, there's a lot of strange things that we see happening and we see distortion of bodies and parts and possessions in a way. So possessions is quite common in some African spirituality. And I felt like it just it fit the narrative that I was going for in this sort of inv- this invasion of uh, someone's core. And I, I believe, I, I don't know, I, it just seemed like a natural thing to write. And I was also extremely curious to see how Walter, the artist, was going to draw it because his, his art style is absolutely bonkers. I love, I love Walter's work. Uh, in every Isnana story that I do, I want him involved in. Uh, I wasn't able to get him to do anything for Showtime. I wanted him to at least do a cover, but... Walter is like blown up with his own work. So it's very hard to get him to sit down and, <laughs> and hire him uh, without some, you know, leeway in time. But, you know, even the way that Walter did that scene. And I remember him telling me that he was like, what the hell are you making me draw? <laughs> you know, and, and that's something that's very common with our work relationship. Cause I always write something that he's just like, Greg, come on, dude, you know, how am I going to figure this out? And he always, knocks it out the park. Yeah. yeah. I've talked to Walter in the past and he does, you know, yours, he's great on your book, but he's also great on some other ones too. I've seen him on it. He gets involved in a lot of indie comics, which is, you know, to his credit, he can do those kinds of things. He can take on these challenges and I'm sure as an artist, that's great fun for him to be able to do this stuff that he's never going to get to draw for Marvel or DC. That's just never going to happen. 
but you delight in having him do these things and and, and, <laughs> and stretching his ability to to show these things. And I, I just think it's great fun. When I came across that, I went, yikes. <laughs> so, and, you know, there are other ones that are somewhat similar, but that was the one that got me. So, you know, if, if you want to read a book that you'll see stuff you haven't seen before, it's not another where spider is a place you want to go. I can tell you such wonderful stuff and such different things. And I, I love that. I, I, you know, as somebody who's read comics for many years, I am always thrilled when I see something new and different and with your stuff, it's, it's just a great experience for me to go someplace I haven't been before. Like I like to say where no comic reader has ever gone before and that's your books. I, you know, I'm learning culture I'm seeing things I've never seen before. I mean, people I have probably have never met before. So on a lot of levels, this is a new experience for me. And I think a lot of other people would, would get that and really enjoy that as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That it means a lot. You know, it's, it's, I'm always very grateful to hear how many people uh, took to it, especially people who had no knowledge of any of the characters that I'm showcasing and one thing that has always made me feel really good was when readers would tell me that they took the time to actually do research on some of the characters and, or the concepts that I actually introduced. And that always makes me feel like I did a great job. See, that, that's, I think in my mind, that's what comics are for. That you're, you have an unlimited special effects budget. Yes, exactly. Uh, Which is why I, I torture Walter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's you know it's only limited by your imagination and what Walter and other artists can do, and f for that reason, I just think that it's one of those creative books. It's the word I keep wanting to use with it. It's special. It's different. It's you know it, it, it's going to make you think, and it's going to take you places you haven't seen or haven't been before. And so I think Isnana's got a, a wonderful future ahead of it. I mean, you've already gotten your, your Kickstarter, you know, goal pledged and you've got still a lot of days to go. So there's good, good things to happen. Uh, if I know you, you've probably got some other things in mind. This is kind of a, 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 a change of pace kind of story. Do you have in mind what you're going to do after Showtime? Yes, I actually have a – I'm working on the next one shot, which is being drawn by Sean Hill, who is this absolutely amazing, amazing artist, uh, extremely brilliant with his line work, his details. Uh, it is called The Drums of Ogun, which will be following the, the voodoo god of war and the Orisha Ogun as well. So Isnana will be meeting him and a whole bunch of other wonky characters. It's going to be a lot. Uh, it's going to be very different from what we've seen with Isnana. It's definitely going to have like some epic fights that we've been seeing, but it will be a lot more visceral than we've seen before. Cool. And the only suggestion I would make to you is don't go where we've been before. Don't go to Roman mythology or Greek mythology. We've done that. Let's go to places we haven't been. And that's something I think your book does so well and so smartly. I mean, it's just, ah, I just, every time I come away knowing a lot more about the subject matter and the people and the, the kind of storytelling you're doing. So I, 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 that's the only thing I would say. Don't, don't ever stray into the, 
uh, familiar territory. Keep doing what you're doing, which is obviously successful and, and obviously a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, okay, the Kickstarter will end on September 30th on a Wednesday at 11 in the morning, Eastern Time. And if we want to keep up with your good stuff, uh, how do we do that? Are you on social media? Yes, I am on social media. You can find me at Greg Anderson, E-L-Y-S-E-E, on Facebook. If you're on Twitter, you can find me at Greg, A-N-D-E-L-Y-S-E-E. So that's Greg and Elise. Uh, at IG at Greg Day, G R E G D A E. I'm on uh, those three specifically. You'll be able to find me. I'm always posting something. I'm always trying to cause trouble sometimes on on Facebook. Uh, but yeah, you'll you'll find me in in those particular platforms. And of course, uh, I I tend to do a lot of updates on my Kickstarter pages. So if you pledge, if you back it, it's like you you have like a automatic. Um, mailing list for any is not a product or a release that you'll that will hopefully come out in the future. Do you have a website? I do. So it is Webway Comics. Oh, dot, that's right. Yeah, Webway Comics. Dot ecwid. Dot com. Well, it's worth repeating. I forgot, but uh, you did say that, so that's good to to have that in there. Again, it's Isnana, and maybe we should spell it I-S apostrophe N-A-N-A, the where hyphen spider colon showtime is the way it is on Kickstarter. And, you know, I I would wish you success, but you've already got a good success on it, but more success is what I hope you get. (laughs) And I hope more people discover your your books and the, the stories you tell. And I'd like to talk with you again sometime, when, maybe when the next time a Kickstarter comes around, you and I will talk again. And we'll try to get the word out as, as often as we can to get more people interested in this, Nana. Yeah, thank you. Thank, I'd love to be back. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode. Until next time, keep reading your comics.